It's a Friday, it's noon Eastern, that means it's time for Broadcaster Hour. I'm Roger Hoover, joined in the middle of the screen by Courtney Lyle from ESPN and the SEC Network. Over on the far side of the screen, though, before we start, we have to welcome in the birthday boy, Kyle Crooks, who is celebrating a birthday today. And Courtney, he gets to do a podcast on his birthday. How cool is that? That's really cool, um, but I really think that you should do a dance-off, because when I had a Florida game... Um, Cam Newbauer made me get in the middle of the circle and dance with the entire basketball team, and they filmed it. I can do the so we're robot. We're missing a chance here. The robot <laughs> is something that I've always done. I think I've kind of perfected it throughout the years. So there you go. There's your five seconds of the robot for my birthday. <laughs> but yes, another year closer to thirty, and it uh, it's it is what it is, right? Rubbing it in. <laughs> yeah, you really are. You really are. But we're certainly glad to have uh, Kyle on along with Courtney. It's fun episodes when we get to welcome in our friends. And Courtney Lyle has been a longtime friend, as uh, we evidence today on our Twitter feed, uh, looking back at Inside the Orange, a show that Courtney and I used to co-host together on the Vol Network. And then, Courtney, let's just start from Big Orange Broadcasting Camp, because that's the first place I met you back in 2007. But you'd been going to that camp for a few years, Tennessee. And okay, first of all, Roger, uh, just ex- li- living up our biggest nerd status that we went to broadcasting camp and we both loved it. Yes. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went to the first time um, Bob Kessling, who you guys have already talked to, um, used to host a big orange broadcasting camp at Tennessee. So um, when I was 15, I went uh, for the first time and I was like, wow, there are a lot of older people here and there are no girls and <laughs> that's it so but it was so fun and i'm i wonder if a lot of people even know that that is a thing because i just kind of stumbled upon it because of my connections with the university of tennessee um and it was really great to be able to meet you there roger because then we ended up working together while we were at the university of tennessee but yeah it was a really good experience um and it was kind of a really good way to get your foot in the door and meet people at Tennessee. At least for me, it was. So and going back, oh, Kyle, I'll get to you in a second. Uh, okay. Going back, Courtney, just what was your spark for broadcasting? Just from the time you were a little girl to uh, when you first started taking the steps of broadcasting, Cam, what was your initial spark? Yeah, so um, it started with my dad, um, who, Roger, I know you got to meet um, a couple mm-hmm. of times. And so he was in advertising. He started out doing sports too for WIVK in Knoxville, which is one of their big radio stations. Um, Went over to WATE, the TV station, for a little while. Um, And then he was told that he wasn't that good on TV, so he switched to advertising. So that kind of got me, um, that kind of gave me my spark. And I remember in middle school, I was thinking, you know, um, I want to be a news reporter. And my dad was like, okay, that's great, but do you want to go cover a war in a different country, or do you want to go cover a game and be on the sidelines of a football game. And I was like, hmm, great point. So I already love sports. I'm going to go ahead and try to pursue a career in sports broadcasting. And I was really lucky that that conversation took place in middle school. So I kind of had an idea going into high school. And then eventually when I picked Tennessee, um, an idea of what I wanted to do, which a lot of people don't know going to college. So I feel like that was a really big benefit. And I definitely credit my dad with that. And starting out in high school, I read you didn't you tried play by play. You were not in love with it right away. So for you, oh, what I hated was it. Like, it. So why, why <laughs> was that? What, why did you hate it so much early on? And what what eventually changed? Yeah, that's so weird because everybody I knew that I wanted to be in sports. So I wanted to be in broadcasting. I knew I wasn't like good enough to play sports in college. So I still wanted to be around them. 
Um, and yeah, I called our high school football games at Berwyn High School um, in the Nashville area. And it was me and two dads. And I was, you know, like, what am I doing up here? Like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know enough. I, I know what's going on, but I don't know enough to analyze it. They were trying to have, have me be an analyst um, as a kid who hadn't played. So that was really difficult. And I was like, I absolutely hate this. Like, I'm never going to do this. I am going to go. There's too much work. I think I'm going to try to just be a reporter or an insider or do something else different. And I was dead set on not doing play-by-play, play, which is so weird because I feel like a lot of people, um, probably you guys, um, have always wanted to do play-by-play. Play. I don't know. I just feel like once you're in this, you've always wanted to do it. But it wasn't until SEC Network came along and I got to do an, a digital game for the University of Tennessee that I was like, oh, I'm never going back. The adrenaline rush is awesome. I mean, you guys know when like they count you down to go on air, what is that feeling like for you? Because it's one of the things that I miss most about sports right now. I love it. It it is it it's like an adrenaline rush. It's it's your own personal adrenaline rush every single night. And when they count you down, it's exactly at the same point when the lights go down for lineups. Yeah. So it, it adds <laughs> to that environment, right? And and you've you've called some some big games this past year. You called the SEC tournament championship game, South Carolina, Mississippi State. What's that like for you when the lights go down, when the producer is counting you in? That's I mean, the, the heart has to be beating out of your chest at that moment when you get set to go on the air for a game like that. Absolutely. And I have goosebumps right now talking yeah. about it. Um, I miss sports so much. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that was it's so cool because um, I was so lucky uh, to have the chance to work with Carolyn Peck this year. Um, and Lori Mancini was our producer. They are a phenomenal crew. And we were together all year long, which we kind of culminated with that SEC tournament championship game. We had done all the games leading up to that. We had figured that South Carolina was probably going to be in that game because they were number one in the country at the time. They had gone undefeated um, in the SEC regular season. And so just to have followed their story and then to see them come out and get set to play in the SEC tournament championship game, I mean, you kind of feel what they're feeling at that point. Because you want to do them and Mississippi State, who both worked so hard to get to this point, you want to make sure you're honoring that work and you give them, you tell their best stories, you give the audience the best look at to how these two programs got here. And so there is that feeling before you go on of like, oh my goodness, am I ready? But then I kind of took a step back. I remember Lori counting me down. Um, they rolled the T's. So we have a little thing that comes on before and it like tells the story to get you pumped up. And then I remember thinking, this is the championship game. This is fun. <laughs> and I just tried to smile and bring us on air. And I hope that's that's kind of one of the things that I really pride myself in is having passion for what I'm doing. And I hope that that translates into the games that I call because I really do love it. And I feel like if I have that passion and I feel it in that moment, I can convey that um, to the audience. So it was a lot of fun um, to get to call that with Carolyn. There's a huge adrenaline rush for television, but also for radio. And people may not realize a lot of your early building blocks, especially during your time in school at Tennessee, were through radio and the Lady Vol Network getting to be the studio host. Just how did your radio experience help prepare you for what was ahead? Yeah, that was a great experience. Um, it was I was really lucky to have the chance um, for three seasons to be the studio host, which meant uh, Mickey Deerstone calls the Lady Ball basketball game. So he would be at the game and then I would be back in Knoxville at the radio station doing scoreboard updates or breaking news updates and also doing my homework because I was a student. Um, so it was like listening to the game, 
updating what the scores were going on to get ready for my hits and then also trying to make sure that I passed my, you know, math test. Um, I was terrible at math, but that was a great opportunity to listen to Mickey. I mean, I heard every game that the Lady Vols played and every game that he called for three straight years. And I think that was a great way to see how you how he did it on radio and then realize what I could take from him to TV. And a lot of my early influences like Don Ward, um, Roger, you know, just listening to them growing up, calling him calling Tennessee football games, you kind of are influenced by those people. And then you take little bits of that and see how they did it, how they had that confidence. And you bring it in a television where I don't have to say as much because the viewer can see what's going on. We have that luxury in TV. But yeah, that was a great opportunity for me um, to really see what all went into calling a game and what it's like to follow a team. So that was a really great opportunity. And now in your play-by-play roles, so much we talk about is, you know, humanize rather than analyze and have great storytelling. And I imagine for you, a lot of your local sports uh, experience doing WBIR work, your work in Georgia as well, really helped prepare you to how to tell a story really well on air. Yeah, totally. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't, you kind of think like once I did about five years in local television, which was more than enough uh, salute out there to all the people, all the local sports reporters right now. Um, you don't realize that all those skills are going to translate once you're just calling games. Because when I was in local TV, as you guys know, you have to shoot your own stuff. You have to edit your own packages. Then you have to run out to the sports set and anchor them. And a lot of the times, like I remember when I was in Macon, Georgia, working at 13 WMAZ, it was just me on the weekends. So I would go out, shoot something, and then I would only have time to change like into a nice blouse and then run out to anchor it. And I would still be in shorts and tennis shoes from covering the football practice that I just went to or whatever. There's like no time but but, uh, once I got back to change and like get ready. You don't just sit in the sports office all day and like watch sports. We probably watch the least amount of sports because we're so busy covering other things we miss what's going on. So, but those skills, I mean, they've translated because of technology, because anything I want to shoot, I can just shoot it on my iPhone. I have a microphone that plugs in. It's a little lav mic that I can clip on to an athlete. Um, and there's such great camera quality now that I've aired multiple things on ESPN, ESPN2, SEC Network that I shot on my phone, which is crazy, but it's so great to have that um that luxury of having a camera with you at all times. So that's kind of where I still bring that local news experience in is knowing how to shoot, knowing how to frame things up, knowing what questions to ask, um, and knowing to shoot it horizontal and not vertical. (laughs) (laughs) And that leads me into my question, because being a reporter and, and having that experience objectively gathering information, telling a story, when you go into a shoot around and you talk with players, you talk with coaches, that experience of going to a Tennessee football practice, gathering audio bites, gathering information, that all transfers over to the play-by-play side of the industry, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't, I probably, when you guys talk to the athletes that you cover too, you experience some of this where you're keeping a track. Okay. That's what they said. I can use that and I can bridge it to tell this story and it can add to this story that I want to tell later on in the broadcast. So I'm constantly thinking, like if I was talking to Ty Harris, who was the point guard for South Carolina, if she tells me something about Aaliyah Boston, um, you know, I can remember that, write it down and add it to something 
later on in the broadcast when it comes up. That's kind of, I think that's the fun part. It's like putting it together a puzzle when you're doing the game because you want to, obviously the first thing is to document the game, make sure we see what happens, but then you can weave in these stories that you've found um, by talking to players, by talking to the coaches, by just being around the team all season. Um, and that's kind of an insight that other people don't get to see. The viewers don't get to see every day. They're not going to practices. So that's one of the things that I love too. And sometimes those stories can get, you can get them mixed up in your head. Um, like there's so many different things I want to do. So this year I thought it was really great. Our crew, um, we started doing a card. So I had a note card and my producer, Lori Mancini and I, before each game, we would say, what are the stories you want to get in? And I would write down a bullet point and she has the same card in front of her in the truck. So if there's an opportunity, I'm not going to force anything in. If a story doesn't fit, then you can't put it, you can't tell it, maybe save it for another game. But if there's something on that card that I really want to talk about and I see an opportunity to do it, I'm going to put it in and then we would check it off the list. Um, just, it's a little reminder because as you guys know, sometimes you get caught up in the game, you're thinking about something else and you, you kind of forget about those stories that you wanted to tell before. So that was a really good way um, this year that I think that we were able to get some stories in. And if she saw an opportunity and I wasn't thinking about it, she could get in my ear and say, hey, don't you want to tell this story right here? And I'm like, oh, absolutely I do, yes. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a good way and that really helped me um, to kind of refocus on what the big storylines were. And a play-by-play -play broadcaster's biggest weapon sometimes can be talkback. Courtney, how much do you use that talkback button in game to have that constant dialogue about, okay, here's a story that I like. Does it fit here? And your producer might say, well, not right now. Maybe we can we can wait uh, after this media timeout. Well, what's that back and forth like for you? How aggressive are you on that talkback button during a game? Yeah, I think I've been more aggressive this year um, calling basketball just because I trust my crew so much and I know them so well. I've really gotten to know um, our graphics producer, Russ Winham, our director, Brad Wilson, and Lori Mancini as our producer. Um, we were all on the same page. We were the same crew, so I felt like I really knew, knew them. So I there were several times during the season where we'd be in game and I'd say, ooh, Russ, do you have the graphic on this? And then Lori, can we use that right now? And it's either a, yeah, we can get it in, or no, there's a problem, we can't get it in. Um, so I really tried to communicate that. Um, and I feel like we got a lot more things in just because we were all on the same page of, these are the graphics we have, these are the elements we have. Um, let's not forget about them. And if there's an opportunity, let me be an advocate for bringing those in. But and then I think a, talk, a lot of the talk time, Talkback too, you want your analysts to be on Talkback and Carolyn Peck does a phenomenal job of that. She's constantly communicating, hey, save that. Um, or they're in a horn set right here, save it, I wanna talk about it later. Or watch this elevator screen or whatever it is. Um, she's constantly talking to them. So unless I really want a graphic or something, I try to just notice when she's talking to our producer um, and let that communication go because that's how you get the best replays. Um, that's how you get the clips that you want to tell us straight is that communication from your analysts between your analyst and your producer. And something I've noticed when I've watched a lot of your games, Courtney, is the conversation you and your analyst have is very natural. There's not just a ton of questions that you're pestering uh, Carolyn with or things like that. How important is that to develop as part of your style? 
Yeah, that's really important. And that's something that I'm working on um, right now, because um, just going back, this has been a really great time to go back and watch myself and to watch some other play by play announcers just to see how they do it. Um, and I honestly think I need to ask a few more questions. And so um, it's all about building that relationship. Once I have that great relationship, which I've been so fortunate that Carolyn Peck has been so welcoming um, this season, we've had the chance to go to practices together. We actually flew in um, usually a day early so we could go to practice, say on Wednesday um, and do the game Thursday, or we would sometimes fly straight from our Thursday game uh, on Friday to our next game for Sunday, just so we could hit that Saturday morning early practice. And that was really beneficial because not only are we watching to see what the team's doing, but Peck is constantly saying, hey, this is what they're working on here. This is why they're going to do that. Tomorrow, I'm going to look for this, this, and this. And so that, one, taught me a lot because, I mean, she's a national championship winning head coach. There's so much I can learn from her, and just sitting at a practice really helped that. And then it's the camaraderie. Um, I've heard Jim Nance talk about how important it was just to go out to those those dinners with Tony Romo and, and get that friendship going. That is – that's – through. I mean, obviously, Jim Nance isn't going to lie to you, but um, <laughs> that's so true. It's so important just to, you know, get to know their families, um, get to know what's going on in their world outside of this. And I hope that that translates um, when I do games. But yeah, that's something that just going back and watching, I definitely want to keep that relationship going because I felt like some of the best moments are when you and your analyst are, you know, you poke fun at them or you say, hey, yesterday you were talking about this exact play and why is it not working or why is it working? You know, that kind of thing, that relationship, um, you want to convey that to the viewer to, to act. So it kind of feels like the viewer is sitting there watching the game with just you two. So that's definitely something that I'm still working on. Well, you really have a good relationship with Carolyn Peck and early in your ESPN days, you had the opportunity to work with Tamika Catchings. Now we all have, you know, athletes we really idolize, coaches we idolize, you finally get to meet in the business, but for you to have a jersey of her as a little girl, a fan of Lady Vols, then get to work with her, what was that experience like? Um, well, she, there is a photo of me um, as a child wearing, okay, I'm probably like 10, wearing a Tamika Catchings jersey at Thompson Bowling Arena. And she hates that picture because she's like, I, why are we working together now? And here's like you in this little like child Jersey at one of my games. But I think it's really cool. Um, and it was such an honor um, to get to work with her. And we're, we're, we're still friends. We still talk, which is great. Um, but I had the chance to do her first game with her. And that was a really great experience. Um, I remember getting a call from one of our bosses that was like, Hey, um, this is Tamika's first game. I just want to make sure that, whatever she needs, you give it to her. I'm like, you got it. And we just had this, just, something just clicked because all I need is it's Tamika Catchings. She has four Olympic gold medalists. She's a WNBA MVP. She's a defensive player of the year. Like she's, she knows basketball. I just want to hear what she has to say. And I learned so much working with her and we really developed um, uh, some good chemistry too, because we had I think three seasons together, which was really great. And Tamika is one of the nicest people you will ever meet. She has so many different hats that she wears. Like, I don't even think people realize she has a hot tea shop um, in Indianapolis called Teas Be Indie. She's working with the Pacers and the Fever. She's doing games. Um, it's incredible what all Tamika does. And it was so great to work with her. Um, I did learn 
fun fact about Tamika Catchings, she loves French fries more than anyone I have ever met. Sometimes we have had two orders of French fries as an appetizer. <laughs> there <Wow>. you go. <laughs> yeah, she loves them. So what what is the key to breaking in a new analyst? Somebody like that who's so great at what they do, but they're stepping into a new realm where they're not as comfortable when they become a broadcaster. Do you just have to give her a pump up speech saying, Tamika, you're one of the greatest to ever do this. Just talk. Let's have fun and let's go. Well, you guys might have experienced this, too, when you call games um, with a newer analyst. Um, they know the game. And then there's all this other clutter around them called the broadcast. And we're speaking a different language. I mean, nobody knows what a promo is. Nobody knows what it means when they tell you to lay out in your ear. What does it mean when they say, get to the replay? Does that mean I need to stop talking right now? So you kind of have to make sure all of this goes away for them. Um, one of the things that when I work with a new analyst, I think the biggest thing is they come with this, they, they're told they need this board. Like we have as a play-by-play, -play. Yeah. you all have one. And there's so much stuff they work so hard on this board and they're so worried about it that they kind of forget about the game sometimes. And that's one of the things that I've learned um, when I do have a new analyst is that don't worry about the board. Don't worry about the stats. You can have a roster in front of your, in front of your face, but I got your back on all the other stuff. So you look out there and tell me what you see. And Tamika did a great job um, with that. Once she got past the, I don't know what it is that they think they, maybe they see the play-by-play -play having a board and they think, oh, I've got to have that too. But that's not, our job is to tell you who did what. Their job is to tell you how they did it and why. And all they have to do is look up and watch and know what the team's going to run. So I think it's just making sure they know with a different perspective from what we do and that as your play-by-play -play, I've got your back if you need a stat I'm going to come in and back up whatever you're saying with that stat so don't worry about that I think that's the biggest thing um, that I've learned when working with somebody new but Tamika is so good at just looking at and saying hey this is exactly what they're doing and this is why it's not working so she's such a brilliant basketball mind it's pretty easy <laughs> let's let's transition to what what is on your board? And you mentioned throwing stats out to you. What, what stats do you prioritize during a broadcast? What numbers aren't necessary? How do you balance when to use numbers as opposed to just having a free-flowing conversation? Yeah, um, I think it kind of goes back to what Roger said. Um, we do, you kind of focus on humanizing before you analyze. So, and I can do a better job of this is getting into the stories more and then getting into the numbers. Because if you throw a bunch of numbers up on the screen, um, it can be overwhelming. It can be a lot. Um, so I would rather hear about, you know, this person, this athlete dropped 30 pounds. She went vegetarian last year and she's upped her game. And this is what she's added to her game. And she did this because she knew she wants to play on the next, she knows she wants to play on the next level. I would rather hear that than like, all these stats, her percentage is up by three points and we can get into that later. So I always have their season stats um, on my board and I have their career highs too. So if they get a career high in points, I can look over to my column. I wish I had my board with me. Um, I don't, but I can look over to the pink column and see, you know, what their career high is. And then I also have a block um, with what they did last year. It's kind of like their career history. Um, it'll go through like, this is their sophomore year stats, junior you know, freshman, sophomore, junior year, if it's their senior year, uh, and little nuggets on them. And then I think the most important thing, though, is when we talk to the coaches, 
um, I put that on my board too. I have a space for, you know, what the coach says about them because that can open up so many doors into storytelling. Um, and sometimes you might never, you, you don't use it in that game because maybe they don't have a good game, but you can keep that on your board and you've got it for next time. Or you can follow up with the coach. Hey, you said this and you said she's a great rebounder and she really struggled with that. What was going on in that game? Um, and that's another story to tell. So it's that's kind of where I'm at on my board um, stat-wise. But really I just have their, their season stats. And then anything notable, like if they've had 20 points in the last three games, if you're Ryan Howard at Kentucky, um, or whatever it is, 30 points in the last three games, I guess, if you're Ryan Howard at Kentucky. Um, those kind of interesting nuggets are on there too. Yeah, especially against the teams that Kyle and I work for, Alabama and Florida. Oh, yeah. She, had <laughs> she a was lot hurt in the game that Florida, Florida beat them. 43 points. Yeah. yeah, oh yeah. Uh, as we're talking about <laughs> stats, one thing I am kind of curious about, Courtney, uh, how do you use uh, the talent stats, the person that sits next to you when you are calling a basketball game? What are some of the most useful things that they give to you during a broadcast? Oh, man. Okay, Roger, you know our old boss, Jeff Muir, is one of my favorite one talent of the best. stats. Oh my gosh, he's phenomenal. He's out of Knoxville. Everybody should use him, but unless I need him. Um, he's so great. So I request him anytime I can get him, and he's one of the best. So yeah, I do have somebody sitting next to me, um, usually to my left, um, who is our talent stats person. And it can be hit or miss unless you have Jeff Muir. And um, they're great. So they're looking at trends during the game. Um, they're saying, hey, they're on a 17-2 to two run right now. Things that, unless you're Mickey Deerstone tallying them down the middle of his board, you can't keep up with during a game because I've got somebody handing me a promo to read. I'm watching the game. I'm trying to talk to Carolyn. So he can really get into things that are more in-depth in the game. Like um, Tennessee's missed its last four shots or they haven't hit a field goal since the five 34 mark in the second quarter and now you're in the third quarter those kind of little things that it would be hard for me to look up and pay attention to the broadcast or if there's anything that i need him to look up that i can hit the we have a cough button right next to our talk back so i can mute myself and lean over and say hey um do you know how many what's her career high what's her season high in three pointers this season because she's already hit five of them or whatever it is can you double check me on that um, so they're a really great resource, um, especially if you have a really good stats person. Um, and definitely Jeff is one of those. <laughs> yeah, one of the best and one of the guys that we were lucky enough to work for during our time at Tennessee. Uh, another part of a television production is the open. We've already touched on kind of you hear that opening tease, you get the countdown, the adrenaline's running, and then you get to come on camera for the first time. And a lot of time that's rehearsed before you go on air. Just how do you approach your opens? Uh, some people talk about how it's one of the least important things you do on a broadcast. Some will say it's one of the most important. Just how do, how do you kind of approach all the different opens you've had? I hate yeah. It. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're old radio guys. We're not good looking, so it's tough for us. <laughs> well, it's kind of like, man, we put all this work and all this thought into the open because you're constantly discussing what are we going to put in the open um, at practice the day before, two days before the game, because sometimes I need to make sure if I'm going to do a Ryan Howard package, I need to have that edited in Charlotte or Bristol. And so that's not something that... I can decide day of the game that I need a glitz, which is like a fancy highlight package with some music and um, spotlights and something fancy um, that we need edited um, back in one of our um, studios. So that's kind of something you need to think about. And we put all this 
talk into what are we going to do in the open? And then really, if you think about it, most people don't even see the open because if you're like my mother, you can't find it on the television in time to get to the open. So then you never see us on camera, which is fine. I could care less, but my mom cares. But <laughs> but it's funny because I've definitely heard the both, both arguments, Roger, that it's one of the things and then I've heard that most people don't see it but I've kind of been um, when I've been reevaluating and talking to some other people about you know how can I improve they're like the first 10 minutes of the broadcast is the most important because that's where you're going to grab your audience and that includes your open so you got to tell stories then you've got to establish your personality then you've got to establish your relationship with your analyst then so that people feel like they want to sit with you for the next two hours and watch this game so i think i need to i've always taken the open seriously because that's what we come on air with but now i think looking at the first 10 minutes as a whole is something that i hadn't thought about which i am going to think about now is how important that time is when when do you establish the topics that you want for that open? Is it after shoot around? Is it hours before the game? Is it the day before? When does it get established that, okay, th these are the storylines that we want to hit on? Yeah, that's a great question because that's it's kind of a fluid thing. Um, I'm sure you guys have been at a shoot around where you thought you were going to have one open. Um, like, for example, Kennedy Carter at Texas A&M. Um, we had their game, uh, I think it was a week after she had the foot injury. Um, so we thought she would be coming back, but she was not coming back. So we had to change our whole open. We didn't use our package that we had on her. We went back and flashed back to the injury. So a lot of things can change at shoot around, but I think that conversation starts the day before um, when you're at practice. It could even start the Monday before a Thursday game. Hey, what are you guys thinking that you'll want to talk about? And sometimes it's easy going in because you know who the stars are in the game. If you're doing a Tennessee game, you probably want a Renia Davis package. So those conversations happen early, but you've got to understand that it's going to be fluid and things can easily change, especially in shoot around when you talk to the coach and they say, Hey, I, this happened and I'm upset about it. And so yesterday we did all these, we spent the entire practice working on defense because of this. Well, maybe that's your open instead of whatever else you were talking about because you want to see that's a story that you're learning. So I think it's a fluid thing that you shouldn't be afraid to change it. You don't want to force what you want to talk about into a game if it doesn't fit. So let me take you to the shoot arounds or the coaches conference calls. What questions are you asking uh, in, in those settings? How much is it your analyst talking as opposed to you just kind of maybe sitting back and, and listening in that environment? Yeah, so that's changed for me um, because I think um, earlier on when I started with ESPN, we obviously we do coaches calls um, before each game that we do with both head coaches. And I would kind of start because the analysts would be like, oh, go ahead. But now I've realized it's more important for the analysts to get in there and talk to the coach and get what they want out of it. I don't want to take up more time. from. I don't want to take time away from the analyst. Um, so I usually... We, um, Carolyn Peck and I actually didn't do coaches calls because we would go to practice the day before every game. So we would talk to the coaches in person. We felt like it would be a waste of their time if we called them on the phone and then talked to them again and then saw them at shoot around. So um, for volleyball, for example, we always have coaches calls and I usually ask my analysts if they would want to go first so that they have the most time. And then I have a couple of, I always have a couple of nuggets that I want to make sure that I check off, that I get answered. Um, if there was something when I was watching a previous match um, that the play-by-play uh, -play and the analyst talked about and they didn't really get into, if I want to dig deeper on that, I can. 
Um, if I have a question about a rotation they're in, you know, why are you doing the double sub and taking your setter out? Um, why does that you need that bigger block? Um, that kind of thing. Just if that's not answered by the analyst, um, I want to make sure I ask it. Um, so yeah, it's kind of changed for me in that I want to make sure my analyst has the most time and then whatever else I don't get answered on my list, I can add in at the end. And I'm glad you brought up volleyball because that's where I was going. Uh, we've talked so much basketball and really, you know, the broadcasts are very similar, but for you and you're the play-by-play announcer for a volleyball match on TV, uh, just what's important to you? How much is it just kind of identifying players, identifying any formations, or sometimes just kind of laying out and letting the play play itself out? Yeah, I try to establish who makes the attack at least. Um, usually, um, I would say, you know, in volleyball, you usually only have one or two setters. So the person that's going to set up that person, um, the attacker on the outside. So if you've already established that that one setter is in working, then I don't know how often you need to say their name, um, especially on TV, they can see it. I do try to establish who's making the attack, um, who's going up and killing the ball, or if you have a great dig. And then I just, I've just started reacting because volleyball is such an explosive sport And it's so much fun to watch that you can't help but react when these tall athletic women are up there making a huge play or getting a huge block at the net. I try to convey what they feel because in talking with them, I mean, there's no better feeling, I think, for a middle blocker than going up and getting a stuff block all by herself, maybe taking care of an overpass and just slamming it down in front of her opponent. But um, it's just trying to convey that feeling because volleyball happens so fast it's one two three and that could be a point and that's it unlike basketball there's a little more flow but after every point in volleyball you're stopping and you can regroup and you can ask your analyst something so yeah I just try to to react um to the points and volleyball is really fun to cover and it's really fun to call if you haven't had the chance to do that it's it's so explosive I love it and then another unique sport that you get to call is gymnastics. And I remember you got some of your first assignments right before I got some of my first gymnastics assignments. So I was kind of leaning on you for advice. But how do you prepare and call a gymnastics meet? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Do you remember the first, like, you were, my, I think my first gymnastics meet was at Alabama. And you were there, right, Roger? I think it was. I was there just to kind of, because I had never been to a gymnastics meet before, and I just really had to see it. And luckily, my analyst, who I ended up working with on the SEC Plus uh, the next week, she sat next to me right behind you guys, and we were able to kind of figure everything out. But yeah, I think it was at Coleman. I want to say like Alabama Mizzou, maybe, or Alabama Arkansas, yeah. something like that. Yeah. I remember, because I had watched a whole season um, the year before on TV, and I was like, this is just an incredible sport. These women are so athletic. I want to be a part of that if I can. And then you get to the meet, and it's an hour and 30 minutes. Like, that's that's what it's going to be. And I, after my first meet, I'm pretty sure after that meet, I was like, yeah. I have no idea what just happened. Because I, I never, you don't look up. There's no time to look up, because really you can't see all the apparatus So I'm watching the monitor the whole time and I have a list of what order they're going to go in. Um, And here's another trick in gymnastics. They don't wear numbers. So if you don't know what the athlete looks like and they change their order, you're going to call somebody the wrong name unless you know the whole team. So that's another element that you have to get to know because it's not like you can look down at your roster and say, oh, number 23 is up on the uneven bars. Nope, no numbers. So after that first hour and a half, I was like, 
I have no idea what just happened, but it was great. It was incredible. It's a sport that I really don't have a lot of experience with, but everybody has been so welcoming and helpful to answer my questions, um, which has been really big because if I didn't ask a lot of questions, uh, I really wouldn't know how to engage my analysts. So I was really lucky to work with Bridget Sloan, who was an Olympic silver medalist and like a nine-time NCAA champion. She's just a beast. And so she knows every cat leap and what a Yurchenko full is and all that stuff. It was a whole different world for me. I don't know if it was for you, Roger, but it was like stepping into a totally different world. <laughs> it definitely was. Yeah, I was just very lucky to say, here's Courtney Lyle, you know, a sophomore from Brentwood, and then my analyst takes over. <laughs> That's basically all I, all I did the first few times, but I started to get the hang of it. Did you ever have a quad box or a quad meet that you had to do? No. So that okay. was... That's pretty tough, too. <laughs> did you do that? Yeah, where there's, you know, you have the quad box up, there's something on every apparatus at the same time. Yeah, I've done that twice. It's very tough. <laughs> Yeah. So fortunately, when we do a lot of the regular season meets on SEC Network, it's just two teams competing and there's only one apparatus going at one time. Um, but yeah, I can't imagine. the. Yeah, quad you don't want to see me attack the quad box. That's something <laughs> yeah. that nobody wants to see on television whatsoever. But how about softball? We're going to run the gamut on all the sports you do, Courtney, because it's a lot. Um, for a lot of us, our prep certainly does change when it comes to how we structure it for softball. We don't necessarily have the boards that are laid out for like we do with basketball or football. How do you structure your prep for, say, softball? Yeah, so this is something that's still fluid for me. Um, I love softball. It's been, it's such a great sport. And I'm, I'm so sad I didn't get to call any softball games. I was actually prepping um, for softball when everything shut down. So um, mine has kind of evolved um i got a chart from brian rice at tennessee where he um has a little printout for each player and i can cut those out after i update the stats on my computer and put them in the batting order so they go straight onto my scorecard and i tape those down um and then i've also added i have a note card for every player and i put that in the batting order and that's more of like fun facts, what the coaches said about them. What did they do last week? What did they do last year? Did they start their career at another school? Because there's so much time and the pace is so different in softball, especially, I don't know how you guys find it, but that transition from basketball to softball, it's such a different pace for the broadcast. It can be a challenge in the first couple of innings. I don't know if you guys have experienced that before. A hundred percent. It's a lot more storytelling, right? Courtney, when you get to that part of the year because and it's a lot more just kind of saying nothing letting letting the crowd roar or just kind of sit there in a lull it's 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 a lot different when you have to throttle down three steps from basketball to softball did you did you feel that was an issue maybe when you started doing softball you're like maybe i have because i know it was for me i this is not the place for me to be going 100 miles per hour i just kind of have to slow down let it breathe even more than i would for say basketball yeah, totally. Um, absolutely. And it's something you really have to consciously think about. I bet it's a little bit easier for Roger because he does like a million baseball games all the time and he's a champ. So, <laughs> but me, I'm like going from volleyball, which is super fast to basketball, which is still fast paced. And then softball, it's like, take a breath and let the analyst talk. Tell me who's up to bat, what happens. And that's something too that you have to be careful of is when you do storytell, even though there's all this time to storytell, one swing of the bat 
And you got to stop telling that story and move on um, to what's happening on the field. And you never want to start a story when there's two outs. So you're even more aware of the situation, just like you are in basketball. Like I know that when we hit under five minutes on the clock for women's basketball in quarters, that we're in a break zone. So there's no way that I need to start telling a story because as soon as we have a dead ball, we're going to commercial break. Same thing in softball. When there's two outs, I don't need to start into any storytelling because one swing of the bat, they're either they can they can be out, they can hit a home run. I mean, everything can change. So it's just knowing those situations. And yeah, you have all this time to tell stories in softball, but then you got to do it strategically, which is it's kind of a challenge and it's fun. I kind of like that. And let's talk about another sport. Let's talk about football, which you've been able to add to your resume over the last few years with Friday Night Stripes presented by Adidas. First of all, for any of our viewers that have not watched one of those broadcasts before, what can you tell us about what separates this broadcast from some other high school football broadcast? Yeah, so it's been a really fun project to be a part of for the last two seasons. Um, I've worked with A.J. Hawk, who won a Super Bowl with the Packers, um, went to Ohio State, of course. He's just phenomenal such a fun personality um to have the chance to work with but yeah we were live on twitter um and they averaged over a million views per game which is really cool we got to go all over the country for the past two high school football seasons um and get to know those teams and i think that has really helped with my prep in every sport because in high school football there is no information there are no stats there are no media guides. There are no SIDs, which are the sports information directors that we have in college that give us a packet of notes on the team. There's none of that. So it is you are relying on coaches' calls. You are relying on getting there early, going to a practice the day before, and talking to kids. And so I think that really has helped my prep in other sports because you had to dig deep. Um, one of the challenges of that broadcast was that usually um, when you see – Crews on SEC Network or ESPN, um, they have a spotter. They have a stats guy. We had none of that. We had no live stats. I don't have a spotter. I had a spot for myself. I watched a lot of the game through my binoculars. Um, and memorizing numbers is something that I've learned. You got to do that, too. Um, so that's been a really great experience. That broadcast was different, though, too, because not only am I calling the game and talking to AJ, I'm reading tweets. So I have my, we're live on Twitter, so you can respond immediately. So I have my Twitter feed up, um, searching the hashtag Friday Night Stripes for the latest tweets. And so when one comes on, you know, I read it and I try to respond. If it's a question for AJ, um, I make sure I ask him or whatever, a comment about the game. So it was really cool because it was a chance for us to, being a part of this project from the beginning, it was a chance for us to do whatever we wanted with it. Um, to really kind of redefine how we broadcast a game when it's live on a social media platform. So we started doing selfie intros with some of the biggest players. I just had them hold their phone up and say, hey, this is, you know, so Eric Gilbert and I'm a five-star tight end defensive end and I'm going to LSU and this is why I'm so good and whatever. So it was a really good, a really good um, platform to experience with some some new things that you don't see in a traditional broadcast because they didn't want it to have that traditional broadcast feel, which is one of the things that was so great about it. And now that you have had some football experience, have some football tape, just are you more fired up now to keep pursuing football, whether it's college games or the NFL with ESPN down the road? Yeah, absolutely. I would love to. Um, I know ESPN does a high school package um, that would be great. Um, I'm just trying to make sure, you know, that I get my stuff out there because even though I am with ESPN, um, you got to work those connections always. 
So how can I get better? Asking for feedback um, on the tapes that I do have. Um, so yeah, that's definitely a goal of mine. I would love to be, I know it's such an honor to be a part of an ESPN crew who does um, football for us. It's such a huge sport and so beloved um, in this country and I love it too. Um, and it's interesting too, to see what will happen um, with all this, all these sports coming back, you know, um, how many crews will we have? How many teams will actually get to play? So there's so many questions right now, but yeah, that would be such a great opportunity for me. And I'm trying to get as much feedback as I can. Let me take you back when you landed with ESPN. What was that process like of when you're working in television news as a sports anchor, constantly reaching out to ESPN to, to get feedback and eventually getting hired? I'm sure a lot of people would love to know what that process was like for you. Absolutely. So um, when the SEC Network launched, um, all of the um, SEC schools suddenly needed to do broadcasts on their own, the digital games that I know all three of us have done. Um, so Tennessee was looking for someone and Bob Kessling, uh, again, who you guys have had on. Um, I was working in Knoxville at the time at WBIR and he said, we'd like to you know, audition you for this. So he put me in a room. He didn't tell me what game we were doing, which makes it really hard to prep. <laughs> so... Yeah. We sat down and he pulled up a Lady Vols game against Texas A&M from the year before. He's like, we're just going to call this. You're going to be the play-by-play. I'll be the analyst. We'll make up names. Um, and so, yeah, they kind of tested me there. And I guess I did okay enough to get a game um, on the digital side. So just on the ESPN app is what we mean when I say the digital side. Linear would be a game that you see on SEC Network or on ESPN. So once I did that game, that was where I was like hooked. This is so cool. Um, I got to do a couple more games that season um, for basketball. And then um, actually Mega Ronowitz, who is um, one of the coordinating producers at ESPN, came to Tennessee to go over the some of their broadcasts that they had that they had done. And then one of them they picked just happened to be one that I had called. And right place at the right time. Um, she liked what she saw. She saw some potential there with me for me. Um, and the next season, I got a couple of volleyball games on the linear side on SEC Network. Uh, my first one was at Alabama. And so it was just being at the right place at the right time. But it's also when that opportunity comes, just know that it's going to come. But you got to be ready for it. And so if I hadn't been ready to call those games, if I hadn't called a million games in college with Roger, where we're doing volleyball games, we're doing soccer games, which I know nothing about. <laughs> And if I hadn't had all that experience, I wouldn't have been ready for the opportunity when it came with the SEC digital side of things. And then Meg wouldn't have, if she had seen it, maybe she wouldn't have liked it. So that was a really key moment. And then there was also a moment back in 2016 at the SEC Women's Basketball Tournament um, in Jacksonville, Florida. I asked Pat Lowry, who's another coordinating producer, I said, look, I, I'm here covering this for WBIR. Could I have five minutes of your time? And she was kind enough to grant it. And I said, look, I, I love calling games. I had done a couple of volleyball games at this point. I had done some basketball games for her. And I was like, I would really like to, you know, what do I need to do to keep improving um, so that I can be full time someday? And then fortunately, after that conversation, it went really well. And um, there was a position that came open. And so Pat called me and it was awesome it was such a great feeling um to get that call and to get that offer because you you kind of know like that's the goal and so to finally see it happening to get that privilege of working um, at a major network like espn it was a really cool experience and i'm so thankful for it and i absolutely love the job that i have now 
So what's it like for you now? How many events are you calling? You're obviously full-time. How many events are you calling in a year? What is travel like on a week, say you have a volleyball game, basketball game? I can only imagine there's some nightmare stories of travel. I know I have mine. <laughs> Roger has his. We all have them. It's it's got to be it's got to be tough when you hit that grind, especially like crossover seasons. Yeah, but I I love that part of it actually. I think if you don't love that part of it, you probably can't do this because I'm on the yeah. road. I, I sleep better in a hotel than I do in my own house, which is real sad. Um, so this Same quarantine has been a struggle. 100%. This yeah, this quarantine has been a struggle because I've been in my house. Um, so um, this year's different because so my calendar runs from August to May. Um, so it's not really a good representation because of everything getting cut short. Um, last calendar year for school sports, I did 98 events. And sometimes that's, you know, like the SEC tournament, we did several games in one place. Um, but that's just kind of the number of events that I did last school year. But it can be a little crazy, especially when I was doing volleyball and the Friday Night Stripes, the football package. Um, I would leave out on Tuesday, do a volleyball game Wednesday, Thursday, I would fly to my football game and go to practices. Friday, we would do the game. Saturday, I would fly to my next volleyball game and go to practices. And Sunday, I would do the volleyball game. And hopefully, it's an early game and you can fly home Sunday night. Um, so that was a real grind, but it was totally worth it. Um, because I got that football experience. Um, and ESPN was really um, gracious enough to allow me to do that because um, I feel like they really saw the value in getting me experience to grow my craft. It's only going to help me when I work for them. So I was very thankful that they were understanding with that. And I still got the chance to do two volleyball games a week. But yeah, that's that's kind of one of the crazy ones. I've also had it where I'm literally calling a game and we probably have, I think I was at Texas A&M, we had five minutes left in the game, and I get a text from a boss that says, hey, it's a Thursday night. Hey, can you go to Oregon on Monday and call a game? Oh. I'm like, yes, I can. Um, I'm, I have a game Sunday, though. And they said, okay, that's fine. Just do your game Sunday and then go to Oregon and do the sideline for the Monday game. I was like, okay. First problem, I don't have enough clothes for this. So <laughs> I had to go. I had to go like target and buy something else but then you start prepping for another team and i'm like i'm literally we're not even off air yet and like so i'm finishing up that broadcast um and then fly to my next game um do the game sunday and then sunday night fly to oregon to fill in for um sideline reporting on big monday but it was really fun but you know there's always crazy stuff like that it's all part of the fun. Uh, now that you have been for several years part of the ESPN quote-unquote family, who have you kind of leaned on the most? Who's really helped you, whether it's from the production side, some on-air, some play-by-play -play broadcasters? Who have been some people that have really helped you out as you start to establish yourself? Yeah. Um, uh, first, I've got to give credit to Pat Lowry because um, she's um, the coordinating producer who I asked for five minutes at the SEC tournament back a few years ago. Um, she has been great. She's. Um, I'm really thankful for for her giving me opportunities and also giving me feedback. Um, if she wants me to change something, she'll tell me and I'm willing to do that. And I love that about her. Um, Beth Moens has always been somebody who I have idolized. Um, what a pioneer in our, in our profession. Um, and she's just fearless and funny and so smart. And every time I ask her for advice, I mean, she's an open book. We had a basketball meeting um, back in November. We have a big seminar up in Bristol and it's 7.30 in the morning and we we're like eating breakfast before the thing starts at eight. And I was like, I sat down in front of her and I was, I said, Beth, 
I have so many football questions for you. And she's like, all right, bring it on. I'm like, how do you do your board? What do you do with this? What's the most important thing you have on your board? It's like 7.30 in the morning and we're all in this group. She's trying to like eat a muffin and she's answering all these questions. She has been so great. Adam Amin um, has been great. I know you guys had him on mm-hmm. for like your first interview, I think. First guest, um, yeah. Which was, yeah, that was a really great segment. Definitely go watch that one. Adam's one of my favorites. Um, so talented. But everybody's been... When you ask for help, you get it. When you ask for feedback, you get it, um, which is great. And I don't think anybody can ask for enough feedback. You're never, even if you think you're the best, um, there's always somebody better than you. And I feel like you can. there's always a way to get better. So especially now, um, when I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life, I've been going back and watching games that I've done. I've been going back and watching other people's games that I admire to see how they do it. Um, you can never stop learning. Because once you do, I mean, you're just going to kind of plateau. So it's there's been so many great people at ESPN that have helped me, and I'm super thankful. Well, I mentioned it to start the show uh, when you we had on Twitter earlier today a very intro from 2009, Inside the Orange. Uh, just what are some of your favorite college memories and especially VFL Films memories? Uh, getting Lane Kiffin coffee. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that, was, that is a real job. Um, in 2009, when he was the coach, um, we used to do the games on Saturday. Like I would grip for a camera guy. So I've got like a backpack with batteries and his water, whatever he needs. And then we would get up super early on Sunday and I would come to the coaches show taping and whatever they needed, um, we would do. And it was me and Eric Peterson and (laughs) shout out to you, Peter 15. Um, and so Eric generic P and so we would part of it was like getting coffee so like every Sunday I would go and set the coffee cup down next to coach Kiffin and then Derek Dooley did the same thing one day Derek Dooley wanted to know where the coffee was made and he followed me back to the coffee maker so that was a fun story what what was his deal I don't know I'm not sure he just wanted to know he just wanted to know um (laughs) but yeah I mean we had a lot of fun I mean Roger and I I got the chance to work with Roger a lot, which was really cool because he was already like the established cool kid in the broadcasting. And we were Eric and I were like these two like young people coming in that had no idea what we were doing. So it was great to to get to learn from Roger and get to work on Inside the Orange, uh, which was it's a pretty it was a fun show. It was a really it was a good way to gain experience for sure. Roger as the cool guy? I don't know about that. <laughs> I think you're I right, Kyle. That. Yeah. <laughs> if you see no, the clip on our Twitter, it's, it was not cool. <laughs> I did see it. It was a throwback. I, I love like it. I'm 12, and obviously my hair is not the same color. So. <laughs> I do want to ask this because it is important, Courtney. What advice would you give to women in this industry that specifically want to get into play-by-play? Um... I would just say for anybody wanting to get into this industry that no job is too small. And I think that's what's really helped me. Um, When I was working at VFL Films, um, anything they needed, you just got to be willing to do. Um, I've gripped for people. I've been a runner at games. I've gotten coffee. Um, And all those experiences, like just showing your work ethic in everything you do has helped me get to the position that that I'm at right now. I wouldn't have been able to go back to WBIR from Macon, Georgia, if I hadn't established that work ethic and relationships with the people inside the offices at Tennessee, because they called Channel 10 and said, hey, this is somebody that you should look at. She's in Macon right now. 
um, when they had an opening. So it, it's all those little relationships that you're going to build that are so important. And you want to make sure that you show your work ethic because that work ethic is going to be so important when you do a job like play by play. You have to be so meticulous. You have to be in depth on your research. You have to be aware of everything that's going on and just be nice to people. There are so many t people that I've, you hear bad stories about, well, this person got big time and now they're not very nice and they're rude to their tape operators and they're rude to their graphics person and they don't come up, they don't come prepared. Like there's no reason for that at all. I try, yeah, there's going to be moments that you're frustrated. There's going to be moments that you wanted things to go out better on the broadcast than they did. But, and everybody can, including myself can do a better job of this. It's just reining it in and realizing that everybody's, we're all people here and it, it, it does it pays to be nice to everybody i try to remind myself of that like nobody's out to get you um and it pays it's gonna pay down the road to be somebody that others want to work with and finally for me what's it like working with mike griffin somebody who is <laughs> i don't know what he's like mike griffin used to work at florida he now works full-time at espn <gasps> as a director he used to he used to get into my ear sometimes and let me have it. I love Mike Griffin to death. What's it like working with Mike? <laughs> okay, yeah. So the first time you meet Mike Griffin, you probably don't realize that he's just super sarcastic. So you might just think all he's the really time. mean. All the time. All the time. So you might just think he's really mean. But he's not. He is one of the oh man, I love working with him. We were on the same softball crew last year. He's our director. And there were times, um, I remember there was this one call and I don't remember exactly what we said, but as I'm saying it, he's saying the exact same thing in my headset. Like it was great. He's so fun to work with. Um, and he is a riot. He is a riot for sure. <laughs> uh, certainly to good to hear. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, my last question, uh, Courtney, so many things for you in your career have gone well to this point. And you especially look at the last five years from how you've grown and established yourself at ESPN. It really is remarkable. What do you want the next five or 10 years of your career to look like? Yeah, um, I really want to do football. That's kind of the next goal. Um, and I'd love to do some more men's basketball. I've been fortunate to do a couple of games. Um, I'd love to expand on that side of the game um, just because it's different. Um, the women's game is great. I mean, they're so skilled. The players are awesome. The final fours the past two seasons have been incredible on the women's side. Um, but I would love to kind of branch out and get some more experience on the men's side of basketball and definitely – do football, whether that's getting another opportunity with the Adidas package on Twitter or getting a chance um, to work with our amazing crews at ESPN. Those are definitely some things that I have on my radar. Well, we definitely believe you're going to get to do all those things. You're talented, you work hard, and you treat people well. So you are one of those people. So we uh, certainly want to make sure you hear that from us and just thank you. This has been a blast to talk with you for the last hour. You were one of the first people I thought of when we had the show established. So thank you for all your time today. Oh, thank you guys both. Um, it's always fun to see you guys on the road. It's like it is a really small world broadcasting, just so everybody knows. Like we see each other all the time. Um, and there is a Tennessee broadcasting mafia. It's real. We're out That's there right. everywhere. <laughs> right. guys, Watch you. out, Syracuse and Northwestern and Mizzou. Here comes Tennessee. <laughs> I went to a small division three school in New Jersey. We're we're building up that mafia, but we're not quite there yet. Kevin Burkhart went to the same yeah. school I did. So that we have okay. a two-person mafia right now at William Patterson University. We're not quite Tennessee, but we're getting there. <laughs> well, you're an extension of the Tennessee tree, Kyle. You know, you got to work with me and Jackson. Bob Kessling you're, tree. You're, you're essentially a ball. No. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? Gotta okay. love it.
Oh, man. Well, happy birthday, Kyle. Courtney, thank you so much for your time. We had a blast. Thanks, guys. Happy birthday, Kyle. Thanks, Courtney. All right. Thanks, everyone, for watching. We'll see you right back here next week for another episode of Broadcaster Hour.